everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Kara North, who is an award-winning learning experience designer with over 10 years of experience in higher education and corporate settings. She is also currently a training operations manager at Silfix, and she was previously the president of the Central Ohio Association for Talent Development. Thanks so much for joining us today, Kara. Yeah, thanks for having me. really appreciate it. I want to start our conversation with something that comes directly from your LinkedIn profile. You write there that your biggest asset and your biggest value as a professional isn't your experience or your expertise. It's actually your network. So what was a defining moment for you in realizing the power of your network? Sure. It was actually uh, 2016 was kind of that defining moment for me. So kind of a long story short, I moved from a really large organization, uh, being part of a large learning and development team, to a different kind of organization, a higher education organization. And I was very well connected within my company. But then when I moved to Ohio and uh, started my, my new role, I went from like a really well-supported team to a team of two. And I really took for granted that kind of knowledge and ability to bounce ideas off of a large network. And I had that again at my former organization, but here at my other organization I was at, there just wasn't that many, many people that I knew. So I ended up going to an event at Central Ohio ATD and I met someone named Mike Taylor. And he actually said something that just stuck with me. He said that like Twitter and LinkedIn are critical for your own professional development. And he showed all these examples of how he had met people on there and how he got to meet them like in real life at different conferences. And I was getting kind of envious. I was like, that's really neat. Like how cool is that, right? And so after the, his talk, I actually started a Twitter and then I started you know, really putting time into my LinkedIn. And fast forward to today, I really think that it is absolutely critical to have a network in whatever profession that you have. And here's why. There's absolutely no way you know every little nuance of everything about your profession, period, that you, you don't. And if you think you do, well, maybe you have a different, different problem. But the fact that I have cultivated relationships, built relationships with other people in this profession, and if I have a question, I can just send them a message and I know that they're going to help me because I've helped them along the way as well. So when I say that my biggest value is my network, it's I completely know that I don't know everything. And I think that there is, you know, some kind of comfort in just embracing that. But the fact that I have a network to support me if I have a challenge or if I need to bounce ideas off of somebody else that, that's kind of in the same bucket of work that I'm in, it's really critical to have that. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing is those, those people, they support you at your highs and they also support you at your lows. And I've seen a lot of support um, just through the whole community about, you know, folks unfortunately being impacted by layoffs and, and things like that. But yeah, I think it's really important to really um, embrace kind of your inner professional and pay it forward to other people who are also trying to figure out kind of, kind of the profession as well. So yeah, I think that's why I say my network is so important because I know it's been absolutely fundamental in my own professional growth and it's the first thing I tell new people when they say I want to become um, you know an instructional designer learning experience designer I'm like you need to get a network like that is critical as you're going through this 
Well, and I would give you kudos for that. You're somebody who is super active. That's how I came across you and the work that you're doing. But you really do um, throw those values out there. You add a ton of value. You ask for things. You're extremely active. There's a give and there's a take. And, and it really does... It really does resonate. Many of our audience members will have some level of understanding of what it means to be a learning experience designer. But for those that don't, can you give us a high level overview of, of what your role entails? Sure. So when I say learning experience designer, I know that that kind of is a little bit of a buzzword and it kind of goes back to kind of the, I guess, the core history of the profession of learning. So if you want to like really kind of go back in history and think about educational technology and all of that good stuff, it actually got rooted out of um, audiovisual instruction, like way back in the early, like, you know, 1900s, 1910s. And then when it really picked up traction was the US military actually used kind of this systematic way of training up people quickly, right? And so uh, from that, it kind of, you know, went into to a profession and it was really, it's really interesting because, you know, it wasn't that long ago when I was actually facilitating instructor-led trainings, right? And now you're like instructor-led training, oh my gosh, what's that? Like there's hardly any of that anymore, but there are still circumstances where, where it happens. So for me, a learning experience designer is someone who can um, basically, first of all, diagnose if, if training's actually needed. And I think that that's a whole nother topic. I would say that a lot of the problems that come across plates and organizations, training is not a magic bullet that's going to solve it, right? So um, it's usually if you dig a little bit deeper, you can really find kind of root causes for various different things. But if training is part of a solution, right, then that learning experience designer uh, works with the organization, the subject matter experts to really divvy out like what is the performance problem here? Like what do people need to know how to do? Why do they need to know how to do it? What does good look like? Is there kind of going through this and then they determine what the best kind of method of developing this learning experience is it could be an e-learning module it could be an app it could be a text message course I mean there's all these different things at the disposal of a learning experience designer that you know it doesn't learning doesn't have to happen behind a learning management system somewhere right um, we often find that that is probably not the best way of managing a lot of learning experiences because it's like oh great, I got to log into this learning management system. So um, learning experience designer not only, again, can kind of take that curriculum, outline it, kind of mold it, but then also think about the modality of how it's going to be delivered um, for it to be successful. And then again, the big piece where a lot of people kind of trail off is the evaluation. What, what, why does this matter? Like, what are the metrics that you're going to track? What does that look like? And how are you going to sell those metrics back to the business to, again, kind of sell that value add? So you said training is not a magic bullet. And I wrote that down when you said it, and it really resonated with me. What are some of the questions that we all need to be asking if we're in the profession or if we're not in the profession about what, when we're thinking about designing something for maximum impact or to get at our goal? What are the questions that people just aren't asking that you feel like you have to ask, you have to prompt them in order to make sure that the design ends up reflecting actually their end goals? Sure, it's actually really simple. Whenever they come with a, an issue or topic, I actually kind of pop it back to them and I'm like, okay, let's break this down and help me kind of break this down. What are kind of the controllable pieces of this 
And what are the uncontrollable pieces of this, right? So the controllables, um, that could be, you know, an environmental thing, right? But uncontrollable is, you know, absenteeism from COVID, so to speak, or other factors that, that come into play. And so after you kind of have them go through that, it becomes pretty clear a lot of times, especially if it's things that are uncontrollable, um, you know, like, like someone's attitude for the day, you can't necessarily make somebody have a different attitude, you know, in a day. That's like a behavior issue. And training putting somebody through a module isn't really going to give them a better attitude right um, so really again just kind of posting it back on them and having them really kind of deconstruct what are some of the factors and variables at play I found that that's very successful and again trying to get to the next step of okay so now this actually is a performance problem um, there's an issue here that training can help then you kind of have great fundamentals of first of all where to go in the business, right? And who, where kind of those uh, constraints are in the business that can kind of help you figure out what's going on with it. But two, you also have it set up for, okay, well, I know that I probably need to include this, this, and this in this learning experience if it's going to be successful. So it's like a, I don't know, I, I don't really have a formal term for it, but it's just something that I think is really important because there's kind of this preponderance of, oh, well, if I want training, I'll just, you know, give it to the learning development team and then they'll make, make magic happen it's like, well, no, it's not that simple. Like we got to have more information because the worst thing to me is building out something and taking somebody's time away from things that are actually more important to the business than sitting through a module that they didn't even need to go through. Well, that's a good spot to jump in and say, what excites you about the direction that the industry is going and where do you think the industry might be going off track? Sure. Um, so I definitely think that the thing that makes me so excited is there are, are have there have been like more embracing of these technologies that are beyond a learning management system. So, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I feel like we compete against Google and YouTube a lot um, when it comes to what people when people need information and what that you know looks like in the, in the time that they need it. So you know, things that we can do to make things a little bit more innovative and you know using technologies such as you know people's own smartphones and, and different devices I think is really critical and really going to help us kind of fight um, the sludge so to speak of of it but um, the one thing that doesn't get me excited is there are still organizations that are just really just stuck in the whole and this isn't any profession. Oh, we've always done it that way. We shouldn't change. That's tradition around here, right? Um, I just, I don't think like that. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I think that the only constant in any profession is change, right? So if you're not embracing change, you're not constantly evolving and growing, like what are you doing? The only constant is change is, is something that really resonates with me and a, a question, and I want to kind of dig in a little bit about how you got to where you are because your, your origin story is a little bit fascinating to me and a, it's a question that we get from a lot of our guests. What originally got you so interested in this field? How did you kind of figure out your why? Sure. I fell into it. Uh, like a whole lot of people in the profession completely did not know this was a thing. So actually, I went to college for journalism. I was really interested in broadcasting and went to the University of Kentucky and got a journalism degree. And when I graduated, um, it was the recession. It was not a good time. There was no jobs anywhere, at least where I was at. So I did what most people that I knew did. I moved back home with my parents and 
I felt like I felt really horrible. I was really kind of ashamed of everything, but you know, my parents were real kind and supportive, which I appreciate, but um, <laughs> you're going to laugh. It, actually, my parents had a newspaper subscription and in the help wanted, they had guaranteed interviews at a call center. And I thought, you know, this beats $0 an hour. I'm going to go see if I can get a job. And so I ended up, I interviewed at this place and I got, got a job in a call center and no kid straight out of college, let me tell you, wants to go work in a call center. It was not the best of times, but I believe that, you know, no matter what job you're given, you know, you give it your best and, and do what you do what you do. And I would, they, they liked me and they promoted me within about I don't know, three or four months to a quality analyst role. And a very small, tiny piece of that was I got to train people that were new to the org on basically the procedures of the, of the organization when it comes to quality of the, the phone calls. And I'll never forget this. I, after my first training, I was so excited, so amped up. I went home and I told my parents, I was like, that's what I want to do the rest of my life. And they're like, okay. <laughs> they're like, what? Um, but I was so excited. And so I stayed at that company for about another year. And at the same time, um, Amazon was building a brand new customer service center in the same town that I was working in. And so when it opened, all of our best associates like left in droves. And at the time, Amazon had a really nice recruiting bonus. And so the people that left said, hey, if you all need a trainer, there's a real good one at our other call center if you all want to get her. So ended up going over to Amazon and worked in Kindle. And so Kindle was kind of my baby and I, you know, worked in, you know, customer service with it. And then uh, one day I asked my, my supervisor about some information that we were given about it because it wasn't really matching up some of the, the things that were happening with our, with our customers at the time. And he said, oh yeah, he said the instructional design team makes that and we're gonna have an opening here. Is that something that you'd like to do? And I said, sure. And that's how I became an instructional designer. So uh, just be curious, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I did that for a little while. And then uh, fast forward, I fell in love with a guy in Ohio and ended up, I moved to the Columbus, Ohio area. And when I moved up here, um, I had a job offer from Ohio State. And one of the nice things Ohio State offered was free tuition. And so because I didn't know anything about this profession, I took advantage of working at Ohio State and I was able to backfill my credentials. So I got my master's done pretty quickly. And I'm currently wrapping up my PhD in learning technologies. And I mean, what a great gift. I didn't have to pay any tuition on that whatsoever. So, um, you know, I am very fortunate for that, but I did finish up all my courses. And so I did decide that I fit better in a corporate environment. So um, I'm three months into a uh, leadership role at a semiconductor company here um, outside of Columbus. So wow. it's a really a fascinating and powerful story of, of hard work, doing the right things, building the network, along the way. A lot of the guests, I, I ask a question of what do you wish you knew when you were starting out, but I almost want to reframe it now. You're three months into a brand new leadership role. What has surprised you most about the new role or what surprises you most about you as, as a leader? Oh, that's a great question. I think probably what surprises me the most is I think the um, autonomy that I have. Um, you know, I've been so used to working in pretty rigid organizations where you have to go through 
you know, multiple levels of approval and, you know, multiple levels of whatever. But, you know, I, I used to joke around saying I haven't heard the word no yet, but I did actually hear it the other day. So I can't say that anymore. But um, they've been really great about giving me autonomy. And that's another thing too. My position is new for the company. Um, they've been doing kind of training their own little way, but they realized that they needed somebody to come in and kind of manage it and kind of upskill everybody and kind of, again, elevate it and make it a little bit more consistent across the company. So um, everybody's been really great about that. And Another thing that surprised me is people were excited that I came there. Um, so uh, my first week on the job, I got multiple emails of, oh my gosh, we're so excited. We have somebody who knows stuff about training that's here. And, you know, I told my, my friends that are, you know, in training about it and they just like, well, shut up. Like usually, you know, training is, is the, the thing that people don't like to deal with and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I had a really warm welcome when I came on too, which was, was really great. Well, I am definitely excited to hear how this goes and given your background and the, the path that you've taken, I'm sure it will be exceptionally successful for you and the whole organization. And, and that's honestly a, a perfect segue to the final two questions that we ask all of our guests. And question number one is if you could describe your leadership style, but I just gave you one word, what would that word be? I want to say it would be uh, humility. And the final rapid fire question is this, Kara, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Oh gosh, there's, that's a hard one. Cause I've gotten a lot of good, good advice. I'll give one, I'll, I'll do two. So one is like more leadership based and then one's just kind of in general. So the best leadership advice that I got, um, I attended a presentation at the Association for Talent Development National Conference a couple years ago. And this gentleman said something that just stuck with me. He said, when you become a leader, he said, it's no longer about you, it's about them. And the reason a lot of leaders fell is because the way that they got into leadership is that they were great individual performers. And when they're failing as a leader, they go back to that mentality because that's what got them to leadership. And so that's why they continue to fail. And I just thought that was really powerful. Um, the other one, just about career in general, I can't tell you how much it's helped my mental health and everything going on um, for this one. Switch your mindset to being self-employed, hmm. even if you have a full-time job. So once you do that, you really can kind of, you don't have that stress of things anymore. I don't know how else to say it. So I look at my company as, as one of my clients and, you know, it, it's just, it's just a different mentality. I don't know what it is about it, but it really kind of helped uh, keep me calm through a lot of, Commercialist times. <laughs> well, thank you for both of those pieces of advice. And thank you for joining us and sharing all of this insight with our listeners. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Sure. So um, on LinkedIn and Twitter, you can find me at Kara North 11. If you search that, you should be able to find me. And then I've been trying to put more focus into my YouTube channel. It's called Unfiltered ID. Um, and then KaraNorth.com. Perfect. Well, thank you for all of the great insight and thank you to all of our great listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. 
You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Learn to Lead Podcast. And you can find our organization Ability, that is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E, at Ability.com. And be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead Podcast. Thank you.